the text uh, this morning uh, that Tony is going to look into, we find in Matthew 22, from verse 15 to verse 40. Let's read uh, this together. If you've got a pew Bible, it's found on page 1504 and 1505. So here is God's word about Jesus' dealings with certain things. Then the Pharisees went out and laid plans to trap him in his words. They sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians. Teacher, they said, we know that you're a man of integrity and that you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. You aren't swayed by others because you pay no attention to who they are. Tell us then, what is your opinion? Is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not? Jesus, knowing their evil intent, said, You hypocrites, why are you trying to trap me? Show me the coin used for paying the tax. They bought him a denarius. And he asked them, Whose image is this? And whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. Then he said to them, So give back to Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God what is God's. When they heard this, they were amazed. So they left him and went away. That same day, the Sadducees, who say there is no resurrection, came to him with a question. Teacher, they said, Moses told us that if a man dies without having children, his brother must marry the widow and raise up offspring for him. Now there were seven brothers among us, and the first one married and died, and since he had no children, he left his wife to his brother. The same thing happened to the second and the third brother, right on down to the seventh. Finally, the woman died. Now then, at the resurrection, whose wife will she be of the seven, since all of them were married to her? Jesus replied, you are in error because you do not know the scriptures or the power of God. At the resurrection, people will neither marry nor be given in marriage. They will be like the angels in heaven. But, but, but about the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what God said to you? I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. When the crowds heard this, they were astonished at his teaching. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment of the, in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. 
And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Till thus far, the words of God. Tony. Thank you, Eric. Good morning, everybody. Great to see you this morning. If you don't know me, my name's Tony, and I'm one of the pastors at Gosnells Baptist Church, and it's a pleasure to be with you this morning. Uh, it was interesting, as I was listening to Adrian earlier, uh, talking about Westminster Presbyterian Church, I, uh, my mind was cast back to a period of time in my life when I was wrestling where to go to Bible college. And I spent a year, we were in the Kimberleys in Halls Creek, and I spent a year driving Alan Chapel and Don West completely mad, uh, asking lots of questions about Perth Centre for Applied Christian Studies at the time, and also Steve Rarig, driving him mad, asking lots of questions about Westminster Theological College. I finally settled on going to Perth Centre for Applied Christian Studies, only to find out that after one year, they'd been talking together and they joined and became, Westminster, became uh, Trinity as it's known today, and I spent the last two years of my advanced diploma in theology actually at Westminster Presbyterian Church in Bull Creek, up the top, uh, uh, which is where the college was. So it's interesting how yeah, uh, things link together and yeah, um, it's great to be here with you. Uh, it's a blessing for me to be here and to, to encourage you and also uh, in the hope that Michael might have some uh, rest uh, getting away. I just want you to know that at GBC, Gosnells Baptist, we are praying for you as a church uh, from time to time and we're praying particularly that the gospel will do two things for you. Uh, one, that it will shape you as a church. That it will shape you as who you are and secondly that it will sound out from you that it will shape you and that it will sound out from you and we would certainly value the same kind of prayers for us at Gosnells I don't know whether you're aware maybe you are there's 240,000 people approximately in the twin cities of Armidale and Gosnells and this morning at, a, at best five percent of them are like you in church you can do the maths 228,000 people need reaching for Christ in these two cities. And so there's a significant work to be done and one that won't be done without the prayers of, of one another, that the gospel might shape us so that we might be attractive people shaped by Jesus and that it might sound out from us. Um, so with that in mind, why don't we pray as we come to God's word uh, together. Father, thank you so much for the opportunity that we have to gather in the name that's above every name, the name to which one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Father, we thank you that we can gather like this and thank you that we can also gather as friends and partners in the gospel in this part of Perth. And we pray that we'll sense that together this morning but also that we will be shaped by your word and that it will encourage us as we seek to live for you and serve you and be on mission for you where you've placed us. Father, we ask all of this, for without your help, none of it will happen. And we want to be fruitful and faithful in bringing you glory. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. 
Uh, if you'd like to have your Bible open to that passage that was read to us, our focus is going to really be on 34 to 40 and actually for a large part just on verse 40, but we read that to give us some context. So maybe have that open. I want to begin by asking, have you ever struggled to balance all the things that are important in your life? Have you ever struggled to balance them all? Perhaps battling to know which one is the most important. They're all important. They're all things that matter. They all seem important. But the question I want us to deal with this morning, is there one thing that trumps all other things? Is there one priority that we should have above all others? Is there one thing that perhaps might overshadow all the other important things in our lives lives, and even shape those things and how we go about them? And if there is, how can we know? What might that look for us? Well, this morning we're looking at Jesus' answer to these kinds of questions. We're looking at what he says is most important for our lives and why. And we're looking to take our cues from him, not from our maybe our wisdom, but from his words this morning. In our reading today, Jesus is asked, what is the greatest commandment in the law? In other words, out of all that God has said in his word, out of all the revelation of God in the scriptures, what is most important, Jesus? What stands out above everything else? And in verse 34 to following, he answers that question, doesn't he? But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Remember, we're told clearly that this question, as the others, were asked not as a genuine inquiry, but to test Jesus. The Pharisees earlier had plotted to see if they could entangle Jesus in his words and failed. Uh, Then the Sadducees thought they'd have a go. They sought to trap him around the, the subject of the resurrection and they were silenced by his response. And now as we get to this section, a Pharisee, an expert in the law, if you like, a professor in the scriptures perhaps, is steps up to the plate to test Jesus. This is one of the heavy hitters that they've brought out, who's stepping forward to try and take Jesus on. And the question is around the law, and in particular the Ten Commandments. You see, if they could get Jesus to somehow speak against the law, they'd have him, wouldn't they? They'd have him, and they could label him a blasphemer, and they could call for his death. But in verse 37, Jesus responds in a way I think the lawyer probably didn't expect. He quotes the Shema from Deuteronomy chapter 6. He says, this is the great commandment. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and with all your mind. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Now, if you don't know, the Shema is the central confession of God's Old Testament people. It was their confession that Yahweh, the great I Am, the Lord God Almighty, the one who appeared to Moses in the burning bush, is their God. Is their God. 
And he is so by redeeming love. And so their response to him is to be undivided love and loyalty. They were to magnify him as they experienced his greatness and his grace. The Shema was at the centre of their lives as his covenant people. It was something they, they recited twice a day at morning and evening prayers. Uh, in verse 39, Jesus adds another commandment in response out of Leviticus 19 and verse 18, and he places it alongside the greatest commandment, making this point, that if we love God as his redeemed people in the way the Shema pictures, we will love those who, like us, are made in his image. Now, Jesus' response to the lawyer's testing question is remarkable, don't you think? He doesn't go to the Ten Commandments like they would have expected him to do, but he goes to that which underpins them all and brings that home. But what he says next, which is so easily for us to kind of gloss over and skip over, is mind-blowing. Do you see it there in verse 40? On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. On these commandments, I think the NIV says, hang all the law and the prophets. What's Jesus saying here? We don't want to miss this, friends. Well, firstly, what does he mean when he says the law and the prophets? Well, that phrase was pretty much shorthand for the whole Old Testament. The law refers to the Pentateuch, the writings of Moses, the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and the prophets, well, pretty much to everything else. So again, what is Jesus saying here in response to this testing question from this professor of the Old Testament? Well, he's saying that the whole revelation of God in his word hang on these two commands. That is, the whole biblical story revealed in the scriptures is about this. That without these two commandments, the revelation of God actually doesn't make much sense. Or to put it another way, these two commandments are the key to unlocking the whole thing. This is how we begin to see things clearly and this is how we begin to see what matters most. See, when we think about the law and the prophets, we see that our very existence comes from God. And we are made in his image, that he is the one true God. And that we were created to glorify him and to enjoy him forever. We see that we were made to love him with all our heart, soul, mind and strength. And we see God's design for us is to love others who also bear his image with us. We like to call this magnification or magnifying God with our lives. Discovering the greatness of God. Delighting in him and devoting ourselves to him. 
this, I would argue, is what Jesus says is the most important thing for us today. It's the most important thing for you. It's the most important thing for me. Among all the important things in our lives, this is the one that trumps them all. And this is the one that overshadows them all. And in fact, shapes them all. Magnifying God. Discovering his greatness, delighting in him and devoting ourselves to him. And so as Jesus unlocks the biblical story in relation to these greatest commandments, I want us to see two things this morning that are really clear for us. Firstly, magnifying God is what we were made for and what God is worthy of. It's what we were made for and what he is worthy of. See, as he reveals to us the greatest commandment, he knows this to be true, right? He's the one who made us. This is what is clearly revealed to us in the law and the prophets from the very first pages of the Bible. What do you see? What do you encounter? Well, you encounter the God who made the world and everything in it, don't you? You encounter the God who made us in his own image and his likeness, that we might know him, that we might love him, that we might enjoy him, that we might delight in him as our creator. Even in the very first pages of the law, in terms of the way Jesus thinks about it, we discover the God who made us and in doing so, friends, we discover why we exist. We discover our purpose in this life. We discover that we are in fact created to be worshippers. to magnify the true and living God who made the world and who made us. And we discover, don't we, that he is the God who is worthy of this. The eternal God who was and is and is to come. What are the first words of the first book? In the beginning, God. Before there was anything else, God, the worthy one, the unique one, the one who we then see speaks the world into existence. He said, let there be and there was. Things became that were not in existence, the one who gave us life and breath and all things and made us in his image and his likeness, unique in his creation, the only ones of whom he said when he had made them. And it was very Is it any wonder then that the greatest commandment would be this? That you might love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And is it any wonder then that the second commandment might be like it? That you would love your neighbor, those who are likewise made in God's image, as yourself. Is it any wonder that we're called to love God in this vertical relationship with him that we can have and then love one another in the horizontal relationships around us? 
on these, Jesus says, these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Friends, it's what we were made for. And it's what he's worthy of. A favourite author of mine, perhaps one of yours as well, uh, Dr. Paul Tripp, says this of us as people made in God's image. He says, you and I are hardwired for awe. We are hardwired for awe. If you're an electrician in the room, you'll understand that really well. If you're not, speak to the electricians in the room afterwards. Right? We are hardwired for awe. We are made to be in awe of someone. And we've used that word for lots of things, haven't we? Even you know, lunch can be awesome these days. But in this sense, there is only one who is truly awesome. The one true and living God, the God who made us. Now just for contextualisation, the Westminster Shorter Catechism, which I'm sure many of you know well, puts it this way. What is the chief end of man? Man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. It's a good it's a good statement, isn't it? King David puts it this way. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes it, its boast in the Lord, capital L-O-R-D, in Yahweh, the great and almighty God. Let the humble hear and be glad. And, and I love this verse, don't you? Oh, magnif- this is a call to worship. Oh, ma- with King David, he's calling us to worship. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. Why is he calling you to do that? Why is the word of God calling you to do that? It's because it's what you were made for and it's what he's worthy of. Do you know that this is ultimately what your life is about? Sometimes we don't. Sometimes it takes us years, perhaps even decades to discover this. That this is who I am. This is what I'm for. This is why I exist. This is why I breathe. I wonder, is it something that you've settled once and for all at the core of who you are about why you're here? Friends, this is the reality that's meant to trump every other priority you have. And not just because you should, but because of it's who you are. It's what you were made for. And because the one who made you is worthy. He has given you life and sustains it every hour, every minute, every second. We're here this morning in Armavale, in this building, because of God alone, ultimately. That heart that's beating in your chest, those lungs that are taking in air and exhaling it, the person you are, from God everything we are and have comes from him as a gift so let's hear David again oh magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt 
his name together. It should be the most natural, if I can use those words, thing for us to hear and then to say, absolutely, count me in, in the magnification of God, together with others. I want to be there. So firstly, it's what we were made for and what God is worthy of. Secondly, when it comes to magnifying Jesus, it's what we have fallen from, but it's what God redeems us to. It's what we've fallen from, but it's what God redeems us to. And again, in the law and the prophets, you don't have to go very far to see this, do you? Just three chapters in, and humans tragically turn their backs on God's good design. Just three chapters in, humans tragically turn their backs. We see people no longer exalting God, but rather exalting themselves. We see people no longer living out what they were made for, but living for themselves. And as the biblical story unfolds, we see the magnification of false gods and idols. We see the worship of those false gods and not the true and living God. And we see God bringing his just judgment as a result. The beauty of humans loving God has been shattered by sin. And then we see the fracturing on the vertical level of human relationships, don't we? Jealousy. Hatred. And murder. We see in those first 11 chapters of the law of Genesis the expression of every form of sin and evil and it appears that all is lost. Humanity has fallen from the dignity of what it was made for, from God's good design. And if we're honest, the tragic realities of this are with us to this day, are they not? In fact, They are not just with us, they are in us. To varying degrees, we've all done this. We've all turned our backs on God's good design, we've all fallen from it, we've all exalted other gods in his place in whatever form they may have taken and we've all sought to create our own purpose in this life, running things our own way coming up with our own design. And as a result, we are all worthy of God's just and righteous judgment as a result. The beauty of what we were made for has been shattered by sin. But that's not all we see in the law and the prophets, is it? We also see a God who takes the initiative to redeem those who have fallen. We see a God who sets a plan in motion, even after those first 11 chapters of Genesis, chapter 12, verse 1 to 3, we see God setting a plan in motion to bring blessing to the world. And for the rest of the law and the prophets, we see it shadowed or foreshadowed and then in the person of Jesus we see the reality of it we see it fulfilled 
When he walks upon the earth, we hear these words from the lips of Jesus, the eternal Son of God. For the Son of God, or the Son of Man, came to seek and to save that which is lost. Here we see God in Jesus taking the initiative to redeem. In Romans 3, perhaps familiar to you, we see God fulfilling his saving plan in Jesus making atonement for us. Though we have turned our backs on him, he provides for our redemption and at great cost to himself. We see it there, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All have turned their backs, not some, and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Look at this, verse 25, whom God put forth. The God we turned our backs on, he puts forth his son as a propitiation or a sacrifice of atonement for our turning our backs on him. Isn't that awesome? The God we walked away from pursues us in his son. And this is to be received by faith. But what I want us to see most clearly is when we take hold of what God has done for us in Jesus by faith, What I want us to see this morning as we think about what we were made for is where that lands us. Look at verse 1 and 2 of Romans 12. Paul writes, I appeal to you therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies, your whole self, as living or as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do you see it there, friends? Do you see what God has done in our lives through his Son? He has redeemed you. And in doing so, he has redeemed your worship He has restored you to what you were made for and what he is worthy of through the sacrifice of atonement, through taking hold of that by faith. All this by his mercy, his help to the helpless, His rich mercy, as Paul says. His great mercy, as Paul says. His phenomenal mercy, we might say. Mercy that actually takes Paul 11 chapters prior to Romans 12 to kind of unpack. It's that big. And then he says, by the mercies of God in the gospel, offer your bodies. And I want to say at this point, really? Really? I thought that was lost. 
can I actually be back there what, where you, what you made me for, where I'm there again? Is that possible? I don't deserve to be here, but, but by your mercy, can I find myself here again? And the answer is yes. We've got no place being there in and of ourselves, have we? We turned our backs on this. We created our own idols, our own purpose. But in Christ, through his mercy, he saw you, he saw me, he came to save that which was lost. And in his grace, in his redeeming love, he's restored you to this most precious place. It's what we have fallen from, but what he redeems us to. Now, I don't know whether you've noticed, but there seems to be just an endless uh, amount of restoration shows on TV. Have you noticed? It's just like it's just off the charts, right? There used to be like one or two. Now there's house restorations, there's car restorations, there's backyard restorations, there's pool restorations, and just the list goes on. And I just, I think we must conclude one thing about that. They're banking on the fact that for the most part, we all like stories of restoration, right? And I get it. But do you see this morning the restoration that God has done in his son? A restoration like no other. The glorious purpose of God has redeemed and restored for us. This God-given purpose. So I wonder, do you want to hear David's call again? I come and magnify the Lord with me. And let us exalt his name together. I reckon if this gripped us, perhaps a bit more, I know it already has, but if it gripped us more, do you reckon it might change the way we come to church? Do you reckon this, the, the, those who are leading the music but might be stunned at the singing coming from the floor? I reckon that there might be a little bit more in it. As we heed that call from King David. Now I'm not saying you still need to be who we are within our personality and all the rest of it. I'm not talking about becoming something we're not. You know, everyone has different forms of expression and so on. But this, friends, I believe is a fire that if we're not careful dies down and that needs to be stoked regularly with the truths of the gospel. That's how we'll love God. With all our heart, soul, mind and strength, never perfectly until we're before him one day. It's what we've fallen from, but it's what God redeems us to and this is what it means for us, I think, to be shaped by the gospel, don't you think?
And I think it's what it means for it to sound out from us. Not just when we gather in whatever singing or so on, but you know what? Something that just blurts out because we can't keep it in wherever he's placed us during the week. Well, what might it look like in the day-to-day in your lives at Grace Christian Church? How might you live this out together as those who are made to magnify God? I want to suggest five key applications for you this morning to pursue this together as a church. And they're obvious ones, right? It's not rocket science. You're going you're to go, yeah, I've thought of that before. But I just want to remind you of these things. Firstly, gather together. Gather together like you are this morning, but gather together deliberately to magnify the Lord and exalt his name. Not accidentally, not kind of stumbling on in. I mean, sure, we all have bad days. I'm not you know, wanting to be legalistic about it. But prepare when you come and come expectantly thinking that God will speak to you through his word and wanting to heed David's call as we've heard this morning. The the gathering of God's people is a means of grace for God's people And 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 the degree to which those means of grace land for us is determined by how much we participate in them. From singing to hearing the word of God to listening to the word of God to coming around the Lord's table, whatever it might be, to encouraging one another and all the other one another's that you can think of. I believe there's like 59 of them or 63 of them or something like that. Right? They're all God's built-in means of grace for us to be edified and encouraged. So gather together, grow with others, meet together some other time other than Sunday to increasingly discover the greatness of God, to delight in him and to devote yourself to him. Maybe in Bible studies, I don't know what you've got here. I think you've got some growth groups. I don't know whether you have one-to-ones, whatever. Thirdly, and it might seem a little odd, give generously. Give generously. Why would that be part of loving God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength? I want to suggest to you that giving generously is an antidote to idolatry. It's an antidote to idolatry. It's a really good way to check your heart and to see if there's not some little idol growing up there that's making you hang on to things that you would otherwise be quite happy to let go of. So give generously. Obviously, privately and prayerfully before the Lord, not publicly, but give generously. What does Jesus say? You cannot worship God and money. So make sure you're giving money away. It's a good way to keep the weeds out. And obviously it's part of magnifying God because he's so great. Okay. Thirdly, fourthly, and really importantly, maybe one we're not that great at, I don't know about you, give testimony. Give testimony. Not necessarily up front here in a formal way, but share with others what the Lord is teaching you, what he's showing you, how he's working in your life. It's so encouraging to hear Adrian this morning, to hear what they've been through and how the Lord has sustained them in that. Were you not built up as you heard that? Were you not encouraged as you heard that? I was. 
I don't even know Adrian. But I know she's a sister in Christ who's discovering his greatness in amongst all sorts of things. We don't have to wait until someone's up front to do that, do we? I'm pretty sure you got coffee after church. You're going to stay and have conversations. Give testimony. It's so encouraging. It's encouraging for you because you go, oh my goodness, I've just shared about something. And yeah, God has really been doing that in my life. I wasn't as aware of it now, but now that I've shared it with someone, I'm more aware of it. And now they're aware of it. And both of you can be what? Giving thanks to God. See how it helps your magnification. Give testimony. And lastly, serve joyfully. Serve joyfully. I don't know whether you know, but the word serve in the Bible is a worship word. We've diminished it to a task, something we do on a roster. It's worship. Whether it's on the door, whether it's on the coffee machine, whether it's in music, whatever, whether you're just serving one another informally, that is worship and that's how it can be joyful. I don't know about you, but if it's just a task, I'm like, this is a bit dry. I'm not sure I want to do this anymore. I've been doing, I've been on this roster for two years. I reckon it's time I got off. Someone else should have a go. Right? Serve joyfully. Magnification, discovering his greatness, delighting in it, and then devoting yourself to him. It's what you're made for. It's what he's worthy of. It's what we fell from. But praise God, it's what he restored us to. So, I will bless the Lord at all times, David says. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in myself. In the Lord. For all sorts of reasons. 10,000 reasons, too many. I can't count them. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, there's testimony. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. And let us exalt his name together. May Grace Christian Church and Gosnells Baptist Church be known as people who love and magnify their God, who are shaped by the gospel and from whom the gospel sounds out. Amen.